Flex Flex, where we change the way we talk about money. I'm your host, Alex, and I hope you guys are having a great Tuesday. It is the first Tuesday in August. I mean, it's insane. Before you know it, like September will be here, then October, November, and then it'll be like the end of the year, which is just insane. I'm really ready for 2021 to be over with. If I'm being 100% honest, it's not as bad as 2020, but it's definitely like for me just as financially stressful, a little less, but definitely still stressful. Um, You guys, I'm just tired of paying my loans. I'm just going to keep it very upfront with you and very real. Like I'm so tired. Um, Today I spent time crying because I'm just so stressed out about trying to find extra money um I know you guys are probably so tired of like hearing me complain about this stuff you're like oh my gosh Alex like shut up but I mean it's it's the truth like I'm so tired of my thoughts being consumed by money by how much money do I have left how much money do I need oh I need to be making this much and I'm only making that much like I'm just really tired of thinking very granular about money and I just cannot wait to be done with this because to be honest I just feel like it's affecting a lot of areas in my life and I'm over it (laughs) to be honest I'm like as far as my living as as far as my living situation goes like I'm so thankful you know to have a place to stay but I am so ready to have a place of my own to stay um this commute from the suburbs to Atlanta is just draining and it's not one that I want to be making for very much longer um and yeah I'm just I'm ready to you know open up a retirement account I'm ready to put money into my savings again and it's also like I feel like I'm walking on pins and needles because you know we have only one car and she's not in the best shape and so I'm like oh my goodness if she craps out on us what are we gonna do like that'll just derail us and so I'm just really ready to get rid of these loans um we hit the eight thousand dollar mark today so hopefully my plan is to be done by October that is when I want to be done or October November that is when I want to be done I do not want to go into December with these loans so I'm going to do whatever it takes to find the extra money that I need to make these payments happen. Um, So that's all that is on that front. Um, I don't really have much. And to be honest, you guys, I've been doing a really bad job about planning episodes. And so I'm going to be taking the next couple of weeks just to kind of outline guests that I want to have on the show, reach out to them and see um, what their availability is like. And as always, like if you guys are ever interested in coming on the show and just talking, sharing your experiences with money, feel free to hit me up. Just send me a DM. You can email me at financialflexpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm always looking for, um, for guests and willing to have people on to share their stories. Uh, So with that being said, this week's episode is going to be a rerun episode. So I hope you enjoy. So I wanted to rerun Nick Bishop's interview that I did almost a year ago now. Um, I've just been dealing with corporate work, job search stuff, and I feel like the advice he gives in his story is 
honestly, that's something that's very relatable. And I feel like that we all could, you know, benefit from listening to again. Um, So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. And as always, be sure to leave a five star rating and review if you enjoy this podcast. All right. Talk to you guys later. Welcome back to Financial Flex with Lex, where we change the way we talk about money. Before I introduce you guys to today's guest, I want to do a really brief, and I mean really brief, life update. So we've moved into my in-laws, and it's been pretty good so far. The first week was a little weird for me, but that's just because it's me, and I was totally fine by the weekend. Um, We started paying back our loans, Um, well specifically my loans. We haven't made any payments in six months, so I am so excited to get back on track and start feeling like some progress is being made. I really hope that we're able to just like focus on getting this debt out of the way without any setbacks, but you know, that's really never how life works, so who knows what's going to happen in these 12 months. I'm kind of scared to even think about it. So, how are you guys doing? Are you guys paying your loans or are you waiting? I know a lot of people are just kind of waiting and seeing how everything plays out. Let me know what you guys are doing on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Financial Flex Podcast. Oh, and also, if you haven't, be sure to leave a five star rating and review if you love this podcast as much as I do. So on today's episode, we have Nick Bishop. Currently, Nick works for the National Basketball Association, otherwise known as the NBA. Um, He works on their talent acquisition team, and since graduating college in 2017, Nick has been able to navigate corporate America pretty well, and he's even obtained his dream job. So today, we're discussing asking your employer for a raise, how to properly prepare for an interview, and so much more. I really hope that you guys find this conversation to be insightful and helpful to you guys as you go through your own career journeys. All right, so enough of me talking. Let's get into today's episode. My name is Nick Bishop. Um, So I started off, I was born in Harlem, New York. Um, I made my way up to the Poconos around seventh grade, been up there through college, um, all the way up to around 2018, where I made my way back to the city to continue my career. Um, in my career, I started at LA Fitness. I ended up at Paper Magazine for a little bit, and now I'm at the National Basketball Association. Um, so I've been here for about a year and a couple of months. For me, what my drive, what drives me is my career. I obviously want to be successful in my life. I want to retire young. Um, so I want to work as hard as possible now. So I obviously want to get in a career that absolutely matters, and I think I'm starting to get into that now, so we can definitely discuss that a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Nice, nice. Yeah, I can't wait to kind of talk about your career trajectory. As you know, this podcast is pretty much all about money. Um, so before we, you know, really get started into, you know, questions about you, tell us, are you a mm-hmm. spender or are you a saver? So I'm a very big spender. I spend, honestly, too much money. I think the majority of money I spend happens to be on food, which is a bad thing because I rarely cook. Over the time, honestly, from, I would say, from the beginning of my life to, like, a little bit before now, I always was in a mindset where, like, I want to spend money because you never know 
how long you'll have that money. Or, for example, I always say the thing like, you, not, tomorrow's not guaranteed, so why not spend the money now? So after COVID hit is when I really started to really start saving my money. I also got a job that pays me a little more so I can be a little more steady and stable in my life. So that allowed me to save a lot more than I did in the past. Um, but still, in that day, I still have the same mindset where I say, listen, you can always get money back. If you have it and you're not struggling or you're not living paycheck to paycheck, I think you should really spend the money that you can to just enjoy life. Because, like I said, every day is not guaranteed. So you should be able to, like, spend when you can. So outside of food, what do you think your biggest, I guess, weakness is? Like, like what do you spend, like, the most money on outside yeah. of food? I spend a lot of money money on clothes. I spend a lot too much money on clothes and sneakers. Um, honestly, I'd be on ASOS a little bit too much. I'm like, you guys need to make me a sponsor. But um, for me, I have a bad habit of like saying, like, if I wear something or I go to a different event, or if I'm going on a trip, I need to get all new clothes. Um, so <laughs> I do that all the time, and I'm doing it right now. Because um, so God willing, I'm supposed to be in Jamaica next month. So I was like, I'm going to start getting my Jamaica fits ready. <laughs> So I've been buying all this crazy shit, and I'm like, I need to really stop doing that. But uh, like I said, like honestly, as long as I'm doing what I need to do, my bills are paid, um, I can help my family out when they need, so I just want to treat myself. So I spend a lot of money on that end. Um, other than that, I don't want to spend a lot of money on anything else. I would say it's folding uh, food and clothes I really spend a lot of money on. Nice. I love your energy with the clothes. Like, I love it so much. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's too much. <laughs> I love it. You mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, out of college, you started working at LA Fitness and you worked at Paper Magazine. When you were about to graduate, what kinds of roles were you applying for? Was, you know, working in LA Fitness, was that um, was that something that you wanted to do or was it or is it more of like a convenience thing? Like, tell us a little bit about your mindset. I majored in college in sport administration, so I always wanted to be either in the fitness or sport industry. So when I graduated college, honestly, I was very lost. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my degree. I was like, I literally did it because I enjoyed it. But when it came to, like, career paths and things like that, I really wasn't thinking about that until after college. So I spent that summer of 2017 just applying everywhere. Honestly, like, one time I posted on Facebook not too long ago, I posted that I applied for over 900 jobs on Indeed, and they were all, like, just me clicking and easy applies. And I was like, okay, then I landed the job at LA Fitness, and I was like, Okay, it's in the industry that was kind of close to what I wanted to do. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. So I was hired as a member services manager. So a lot of the aspects was dealing with customer service um, and a lot of the employees that had to do with the customer service aspect. Um, and I just didn't really enjoy that. Honestly, I don't enjoy being yelled at by people. <laughs> I, so I really am not, like, as people know me, like, I'm very, very, like, I can be very abrasive at some point. And it's hard for me when I was at work and being told to do things how to like navigate my way through that and pretty much tone down my who I am um, to fit into that culture there. So at that point, I had to make the decision of leaving there, which was pretty much a hard decision to do because I left there without having another job on my plate. So I had that three-month period to really just start looking for a next job. But for what I did from that point, it taught me a lot because it really taught me how to be a lot more patient when it comes to the workplace. Um, so I really was had to really just dive into what it's like to be in the corporate world, how to really function in the corporate world, how you have to deal with other personalities, maybe personalities that you don't mix with, or dealing with people that you probably don't like, but you have to work with them. So 
that helped me a lot to deal with customers and dealing with that uh, very hard environment that LA Fitness put me in. After leaving LA Fitness, you ended up at Paper Magazine. Those two industries are kind of totally different. So I wanted to know how did you how did you you know land at Paper Magazine? Because I feel like for a lot of people, working there is probably like a dream job for them. Yeah. So for me, um, I wanted like I'm. Uh, completely transparent. People might think of me and look at me and think, oh, I have my stuff together. I did not have my stuff together at all. So like I said, when I left LA Fitness, I would, I left without no job on my plate. So it came to about being one month and two months and then three months and nothing was coming that was seemed like something that was worth it. And I was like, okay, like I, now I'm like kind of in a pinch because I was like, listen, I just got this degree. My student loans are coming in. I don't have a job anymore because I decided to quit my last one. So on Indeed, I found that positioning for paper um, honestly, at that point, I knew what paper was, but I didn't really follow paper like that. So when I started posting, it didn't really click to me what paper magazine was. I saw something that had to do with HR and office management, so I applied to it. And then I went to the office that day, and I realized that it was actually paper magazine. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then I sat there. I went to three um, interviews there. Um, I got the job. I was there for about a year and a month. Um, as people might think, and a lot of people really don't, what I really want to tell people is when you think of big companies, a lot of big companies have a great brand name, but when it comes to work life and the function behind the ho- uh, behind house, it's not as great as it may seem. Mm-hmm. So paper was one of those instances where they really weren't the place for me. They weren't a place that really looked at minorities and thought they, they, they can be in leadership position at some point. I think the majority, honestly, out of 100% of our leadership position, no one was minority. Um, and that was something that was very important to me. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is probably not the place I wanted to be, but it's somewhere I can learn at the time being. I've met some great people there. I still talk to some of them there at this day. But at that point, when I had to leave there, I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense for me. Um, so I was like, okay. So then I found a job on um, for the NBA on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So I applied to that, just shooting my shot, because I was like, there's no way I'm going to get a call back from this. So maybe a week later, I got a call back from what was now my boss, um, and asking me to do a phone interview from the NBA, and I literally was like, it's just shock. And I was like, okay, I'm majoring in sport business. Basketball being my favorite sport, this would definitely be my dream job. This was exactly what I thought of as a dream job. And I was like, okay, I cannot fumble this bag. So I legit studied everything. I looked up everyone's LinkedIn profiles. I did all I needed to do to really just prepare myself for that phone call and really set myself aside. After the phone call, they got me. They, I guess they liked my phone call. They brought me in for in-person. And about two days later, they offered me a position on a contract. So that meaning I wasn't a full-time employee. I was on a 10-month contract with the opportunity of being converted to a full-time employee if I did well. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much left that full-time job at Taper and made that jump of faith over to um, NBA, knowing that I won't have the possibility of being a permanent employee. There's a good chance that I literally would just jump and fall. So I took that chance, though, because I was like, listen, you're not going to have another um, chance like that. And since then... Honestly, this is my favorite job by far, and I, I'm glad I took that risk. But sometimes you need to take those risks to really get the reward that you want to see. No, definitely. You said something that stood, that stood out to me uh, just then. You said you once um, once you got the you know the call back for the interview, you studied everything you needed to know about the company. And I know for me, when I was first applying for jobs, like I was the absolute worst interviewer, like, or interviewee. Like I was, like I fumbled my interviews so bad just because I didn't know how to interview properly. Like all Mm -hmm. of, all of my jobs, like, you know, 
prior to graduating were like in you know restaurants retail and the interview process for those kind of jobs aren't really that extensive so for those people who are listening, exactly. yeah. So for those for people who are listening, right, and they're wanting to know, okay, what what do I need to, uh, I guess, do my homework on? Like, what things do I need to know? Um, what would you tell them when when preparing for an interview? Yeah. So for me, what I tell people, since I work in talent acquisition, so my job is really preparing people for interviews, helping people do interview processes and things like that. So what I tell people is your interview, your resume gets you that callback. So you having a good resume just gets that person to get their interest on you and give you that call for that interview. But your interview and you selling your per- your personality is what gets you the job. So being prepared, being personable, understanding the team that you want to be in, that really sets you apart. And honestly, when people apply to different places, I don't think they think about that because they're like, okay, I have this experience. They're going to want me. And it's like I've dealt with hiring managers that say, like, hey, they are – they do have what they need, what I need for this role, but I don't see myself working with this person because, one, maybe our interview on the phone was very boring. Two, I had to really try to get some information rather than them give it to me. And that's things that really set you apart. And I think for people to really just prepare and really just to be more choosy on where you want to work because at the end of the day, this is where you're going to be spending at least 40 hours a week. So you want to make sure that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. So you want to make sure that you're aligned with what they are on morale standpoint standpoint team dynamic standpoint you would just want so i just want people to understand that a company is going to want you regardless if you're good but you should want that company as well because that's how you end up unhappy and that's why i learned in my first two previous roles is that i just wanted a job but i didn't really do my research on those jobs and really if i did my research i would have seen right then and there the red flags were right there that they were probably not the best place for me but i had to go through that experience to learn that so i think a lot of people just need to do that little research i probably take like an hour even if you do it an hour before your interview, you'll get a lot more insight than what you thought you would, and that set you apart from when you are on the phone with your interviewee. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's like those are really great um, tips, and like you said, I really do think that it is important to like you know interview the company as well because you don't like you said you do spend forty hours a week with these people they kind of become like your second family, and you just like you don't want to mm-hmm. be in a toxic work environment. Like it's 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 not good at all. You mentioned something about pay, and I know that the issue of pay disparity is, like, a big one, and it's something that's being talked about a lot um, in in conversation, I feel like. So um, what are some ways you think that people can ensure that they're getting paid what they're worth? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a huge disparity in definitely the minority community where we allow ourselves to be underpaid so much just because we feel that we're grateful to get that opportunity. And I honestly fell in that trap multiple times. Um, I was very underpaid at paper, and that was one of the big deterrents of why I left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew from that point, like, listen, like, you need to stop underselling yourself because that's when you end up unhappy. And I think for a lot of us, when we think of it, we're coming out of college, we're young, we are minorities, we already know we're set back a lot. So we were like, okay, if someone wants to give me a chance, who am I to ask for more money? Or who am I to say that I need this in order to start there? So I'm going to take whatever they give me. And that's not the mindset you should have. Your mindset should be that you are great. You are bringing an asset to that company that they need. So you need to be paid to that point. It's the company's responsibility to pay you properly, but it's also your responsibility as well to be researching on that role that you're probably applying for and seeing what the market is paying for that. All this information you can find on Google. If you go on Google, you type in a role. For example, if I'm applying 
for a talent acquisition coordinator role, I can go on Google, I can go on LinkedIn, I can go on Glassdoor, and I can see what the medium salary is for these roles. And then I can use that information to really determine what I want to act at with a company. A company always has a budget in place before a role is open. So they already know what they're able to pay you. So it's up to you to really just determine what they're going to pay you because they're going to try to go at the bottom of that range of what they already budgeted because that saved them money. But if you come in and you know exactly what you want to make, that helps you a lot because you're going to say, listen, I know for this role what I'm going to be doing for my experience, I should be being paid this amount of money. What does your budget say? And they'll tell you, hey, my, you're in my budget or you're below my budget or you're way above my budget, and you then decide if you want to move forward. I, as a person that's working in recruiting, and when I'm talking to people about jobs and I'm talking about compensation, my big thing is I don't want to underpay people for a job that they're going to be doing. My boss is a huge advocate on that, too. I have a very diverse team. Uh, we are led by a Hispanic woman who's very young, and she is killing it, and she teaches me a lot. And what we've really been doing, for example, we just hired a VP that for a certain role, um, a minority black woman for a, a high-level VP role, who at first maybe her act wasn't, she was out of the game for a little bit. She was doing a lot of freelancing, so she wasn't really that privy to the corporate world as she used to be. So when she asked for a certain salary amount, it was a lot lower than what we budgeted it. So we said, listen, that's not what we're going to pay her. We're going to be paying her with what she's worth. We're going to be paying her what the job is worth as well. And we went back and we offered her more money than what she actually asked. But she wouldn't have known. And if we, if she came across people that were a little more sneaky and that didn't really care about that, she could have been, ended up being paid a lot less. But luckily, that she was able to really just sell herself to be a great candidate to really persuade us to like know that she's worth a lot more money than that. But that's just a lot of what you're doing when you have an experience of really researching what jobs are. I think when someone applies for a job, the first thing you need to do is look at that job, look at that job description, go online and research what the market is paying for that job. This is all information you can find on Google, like I said. And that can really just determine what you can really sell yourself at at a company. So would you say that it's it's more so up to the employee to go to the to go to their employer when asking for more money? Like that that conversation should be brought up by them as opposed to like the actual company? I think it should be brought on by the employee only because the company is not always honest. We all know these companies are out to just save themselves. A company's prime um, purpose is to create revenue. So how do they create revenue? By saving money at certain sectors. So they're going to do that by any means necessary. So it's your responsibility to make sure that you're knowledge and um, knowledgeable on these type of things so that way they can't screw you over in the end. Honestly, I would uh, love for employees and um, for employers to be the ones responsible to really making sure that their people being paid properly, but that's just not the, real, the reality we live in right now. So we just have to make sure that we're looking out for our back because no one's going to have your back if you are. Mm -hmm. So you should be responsible for what you want to see yourself making because you shouldn't allow someone else to determine what you want to be making. Wow, so true. So I want to um, switch gears a little bit and um, talk about the protests that you held recently back in Stroudsburg. So just talk to me about the, kind of the conception of it and then what was that moment mm -hmm. like for you when you when everything kind of came together and you actually had the protest? Yeah, so for that, that was uh, that was honestly one of the best experiences that I ever had in my life. So to go rewind on how it started, so Kasim Johnson, I'm sure you're familiar with him and a lot mm -hmm. of people are familiar with him. He's one of my best friends. He's been my friend for a couple of years now. Since I've moved up to um, Pennsylvania, he's been a friend of mine. We've grown very closely over the last couple of years and months. Um, we've seen that video of Joy Floyd. Me and Kasim have these conversations all the time. We talk about it. We'll text him like, yo, did you see that? That's just crazy. Why, why would anyone do that? 
and what can we do? So we always just did a lot of talking. We're like, listen, like we've talked about this. We've talked about it to our friends. We talked about it to other people. It's not doing nothing just to talk. It's not doing anything just to go online and argue with people. Like we need to do something so that we're not just talking a talk. So he was like, we need to do a protest. So that was his idea. Um, He's like, you have to join me with this. We have to do it together. So I was like, of course, I'm going to be there right with you the whole time. Um, and we really just had some help from people along the way. So Adam Rodriguez, who's running for a Democratic rep in our um, area, he was linked to us by Mary Slipe, who was one of his um, son's friends. Um, he helped a lot with getting a lot of uh, people involved, as well as our state reps, um, our congressmen, and things like that. Um, so when we first got there that day for the um, protest, Honestly, I was thinking maybe top, we're going to get 100, 200 top people coming there. I was like, there's no way that our area, even though we know our, our area is diverse, we know deep down that there's still that ignorant side of the Stalsburg yeah. area. So we know that. Um, so we were like, listen, we're going to get a lot of pushback. We're going to get people uh, yelling at us. We're going to have those counter protesters there. We're not going to have that. So we got there, and we saw a, a great group of people sitting in the park. And we're like, wow, this is great. So that, that looks like 300 people right then and there. We're very content with that point. But as we were sitting there and we were talking and we are getting ready, more and more people were coming from all areas. And it was literally the crazy thing to watch is just watch all these people, these diverse group of people, white, black, Spanish, Latino, gay, straight, whatever. They all were there and they were all coming in. And as we started to march, even as we were marching, we were chanting, we were yelling, people were joining in as we were coming. So they're coming behind buildings, joining in. There are people sitting there on their businesses. They had their businesses with some logos on there to support it. Um, we got there. We got to the thing. We got to speak. And when I got up, so Kasim spoke before me. He really hyped me up to get some ready for my speech. But when I spoke and I looked down and I seen a, almost 2,000 people staring at me, I was like, all right, I'm going to freeze. And I'm probably going to start stuttering. But I was like, let me just get myself together. And I was talking to them, and I was like, I'm not going to talk about it. We were talking about it the day before. We were like, what are we going to say? Should we write out speeches? And I was like, nah, let me just talk from my heart. Honestly, if I say your speech, is going to sound real generic, and it's not going to really touch anybody. So my point on my speech was really just right. Really, I was talking to more I, the white supporters we had there, less to, um, to the uh, black people and uh, Spanish and Spanish people there. If you're not frustrated by blatant racism, then I don't get why. So, like, that is something that you really need to touch. But from that day on, honestly, we had people DM us, message us, like saying, people I didn't even know, like, wow, that was great. That was great for the community, this and that. Kasim has been doing a lot of things on the back end. He continued to push in that area. Obviously, I don't live there anymore. I go back and forth. Mm -hmm. So I try to be around as much as possible. But Kasim has been doing great things there. He's been um, a part of the youth community. He's been holding a, a couple of, like, rallies and forums after. So it's really just us realizing that we have the power to do a lot more than just talking or arguing the internet. Honestly, we still do that, but we still have to be able to walk the walk as well. Right, no, for sure. So basically all over the country, right, there's just been a numerous protests, and now people are, you know, taking up, using social media as a platform to kind of, you know, voice their opinions and their thoughts, um, whether, you know, they're completely right or completely wrong but as we all know anything you post online kind of just stays there forever so do you think that people should hold their tongue for the sake of their job or does that not matter so that's a great question to have and especially nowadays i think that's an amazing uh, conversation that people should have so i was always taught that 
you should hold your tongue because everything you post online, everything you say, your job can use against you on if you will be employed or not. So for me, it's funny because I have a great job. I have a high-profile job. Um, I am very vocal online. I'm very vocal on all social platforms, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm very vocal on what I believe in. I'm very vocal on challenging the ignorant people that say ignorant statements. Um, and I know from that point that I'm obviously putting myself out there to be at risk, but I know that there's something more important than a job. So for me, when I'm thinking about it, a lot of people see me, they're like, they, I have conversations with friends, family, like, listen, you can't be, you can't argue with people online and do things like that because you have a job, a very good one, and that's not something that you want them to see. And I'm saying, listen, at the end of the day, if, the, if I'm saying something that's outlandish, that was probably ignorant, I would understand that, but I'm saying something that's on the right side of morality. So if my job has a problem with that, then that's not a job I want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, people see me, they say, oh, yeah, Nick, he argues a lot online. He's angry. I, do I like to be angry? No. Do I want to just be chilling? Do I just want to be drinking with my friends and my friends things? Yes, but <laughs> I can't because I really cannot sit here and allow someone or allow people to spread ignorant false information and no one check them. And that's why racism still goes so rampant today because those people that are racist and ignorant were never checked. And those friends that were around them and silent are the reason that they are able to spread that hate. So once you challenge people you make them think differently, that really puts them apart. Um, and that really makes them like either realize, okay, one, I'm wrong. Two, I'm so wrong that people don't want to be around me, so maybe I should change because I'm losing my friends, I'm losing my family. You can't be silent. Like, at the end of the day, if your job really wants you, they'll talk to you. They'll maybe say, like, listen, just tone it down a little bit. But I don't see how anyone can really just say, like, hey, you should be out because of your social media. No. I, I take that risk every day. I am very vocal. Like, you follow me, you see this, everyone sees it. I will not stop because I will not stop until racist and ignorance and we have equality. So that's something that I'm willing to risk at my own. I have a great team that which is great. My boss is behind me. My boss follows me on social media. Um, so she sees it all firsthand. And when people try to bring it up, I'm like, hey, my boss followed me. She agrees. So that's a great thing for me, but everyone doesn't have that luxury. So what I say for those people is if you don't have that luxury, try to figure out how to do a kind of like a balance, like being able to have a conversation, maybe not combative, but just having conversations. You can post your interests online. You can post things. But if you're going to choose to be ignorant or be a hating person, then I feel 100% that you should be penalized because that's, if you're not aligned with what the company is morality, then you shouldn't be there. So mm -hmm. if someone is like, hey, black lives don't matter, all lives matter, you got to be dramatic. Hey, I'm like, okay, you can't work for me. I don't want you in my job. That's a company's decision. Maybe there's companies out there that agree with that statement. Go work for them. So that's just the choice that you have to make when you're really thinking about the career and the companies you want to be in. No, I, I think that's awesome that your boss follows you on social media. So it's like she already knows. And I mean, like, yeah. obviously, if there were to be an issue she would have brought it up by now but the fact that she hasn't and the fact that they're you know letting you not just letting you express yourself and you know just do you I think that's awesome like why yeah it is amazing I love my team honestly I think of them as my second family a lot of people say those are just my coworkers. like no that's my work family we do happy hours we go out we send each other funny memes posts like I've never worked in a team that's been so close-knit and honestly I appreciate it so much mm -hmm. I've learned so much from these people I have a very diverse team we have black women on our team we have Hispanic women we have white women we have black men 
and on just my one team, not on my company, it's just my team. So that's something that like I want to see in my future when I run my own team. I want to see that vision on my team and my company that I might be a head person at in my future. No, that's amazing. Diversity is uh, it's one thing for a company to, you know, talk about it on social media or like, you know, for like a PR mm-hmm. stunt, but to actually like walk into the office every day and see like a sea of different faces. I think that's um that's awesome and that's something that all companies exactly. should should have. Um so you don't have to answer this question um but I do just want to get your thoughts on what's happening right now with like the NBA protests um you know for Jacob Blake mm-hmm. and just like police brutality and things like that because that's like you know that's going on like in real time. Um and so as someone who works for the NBA I just wanted to get your thoughts. But like I said if you don't feel comfortable answering like you do not have to. Yeah, I can definitely answer that. So, obviously, that took us all by shock yesterday. I don't think that was something that was planned out. That wasn't planned out between the league office. That was a lot of the players who decided to do that. Um, and I commend them 100%, and I stand behind them. I don't think people realize how much I'm into wanting equality because, one, if the season didn't restart, if they decided not to restart the season, we lose a lot of revenue. If we lose a lot of revenue, they're not able to pay people and have jobs. So that could end up being something that maybe my job is cut because my job is um, focused on hiring. So we would, if we don't have any money to hire people, my job is not needed. So with that being said, I completely stand behind our players. I commend our players so much for actually taking the initiative to do something that really shook the world and got everyone's attention because that's exactly what they did. Once that happened, people realized how powerful sports is and how sports can really push someone to do uh, change and differences in their lives. So when the players decided they're not going to play, you've seen the ripple effect from when the Bucks said they weren't going to play, then all the teams said they're not going to play, WNBA joined in, some MLB teams joined in, and now the NHL has joined in to um, cancel all the games on Thursday. So the NBA has really set itself apart from other organizations as being the front runner of what we really want to see in our communities. We have very vocal players, and we always stand behind them. Um, our players obviously are very big in the community. They're very big in their um, culture. Um, we build our backs. Our revenue is built off the backs of black and brown people. That's what the NBA is being paid from, from the entertainment that our players give to us. So how can we not be behind them on the decisions they make to really better our community? Right. So that's where I pretty much stand on that point. No, that's... Wow. That's very, very true. Like, the NBA is pretty much built off of the backs of brown and black people. Yeah. Yeah, so true. Um, so as we, you know, wrap up, I do just have one question that I ask everyone. Um, I just want to know if you could give, you know, teenage Nick, 15-year-old Nick, any piece of advice, what would you tell him? For me, when I think of 15-year-old Nick, I think of someone um, that really wasn't sure of himself, that he didn't really know what he wanted to do, the crowd that he wanted to be in. He really wanted to be a people pleaser. I wanted to, He wanted to be popular. He wanted people to like him. Um, he really decided how he would move is by determining how people would treat him. So for me, when I look back at it now, I look at myself and I cringe. I'm like, why were you like that? But it's something that you learn from. I'm like, listen, I'm at the mindset right now where I could really care less who likes me and who doesn't like me. I have people in my life that are going to always be there. Um, I know what I want to see for myself. I know I want to see my friends. I want to see my family. I want to see everyone succeed. I know where I want to see the change that I want to push forward, what I want to do. Anything that I do, I stand behind 100%. I wouldn't actually want to do something that I wouldn't do. Um, so for me, when I look back at that, I'm like, listen, you're not going to, uh, everyone's not going to like you. You're not going to please everybody. The people that's going to be meant to be in your life, they're going to be in your life anyway. 
So you just need to move on what's best for you and the people who are around you. So that's a mindset I really want to give myself back then. Also, just like not to overthink your life. You figure out things as you go. As you overthink, you're not helping yourself at all. So when I thought about it when I was 15, I was like, what, what can I make? Uh, what career can I do that to make me the most money? That was my mindset sitting there. I was like, uh, I was on that website like, hmm, should I be a cardiologist? And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not even good at science. So so doing things like that is really what um, sets me apart. Honestly, I think I've turned out pretty well. I have a lot to really learn and focus on. Um, I have a lot of things that I want to just help on my own. Um, really just want to get to certain mindsets in certain areas that I am not there yet, and I can admit that. So for me, it's like, how can I do that? How can I surround myself with people that have the same mindset or close to the same mindset as me? Or even people that can challenge my mindset that can really educate me on things that I might not be privy to. So um, that's pretty much what I would tell myself back then. Like, listen, just be you. You're going to grow up to be a boss regardless. Um, surround yourself with bosses. A boss does not mean that you're just employed. A boss doesn't mean that you have must be a boss of someone who is confident in who they are, confident in what they do, and are doing what's right. I love it. I couldn't I – mean, I, perfect piece of advice right there, I think. I think every 15-year-old needs that, that – those, yeah. those words. Um, so – um, before you know, we say our goodbyes. Where can the people find you? Yeah, so I'm on um, Instagram. So Nicholas underscore the underscore great is my Instagram handle. I'm on Twitter, um, pawn underscore bishop. I'm on Facebook as well, just my name, Nicholas Bishop Thompson. And even you can find me on LinkedIn if you want some career advice. Um, my LinkedIn name is Nicholas Bishop. If you look search me under the NBA, you'll find my profile. I'm holding the basketball on there. So if you want to reach out, say you heard me on here, you want to ask for some advice, I'm glad to connect with you.